Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's so good to have all of you on all of our campuses, and uh, this, this is a special day for some of you, and we are just so glad to be able to celebrate it with you. Mother's Day is one of those days where some of us, I mean, it just warms our heart. Others of us, um, it's a day where we struggle with some things, and, and we recognize that, and, and our trust is that today will be a healing day for you, and as well as a celebration day for those who find this to be a great day to celebrate. So just thank you for being with us. And uh, if this is your first time being with us today, uh, we are in week three of our sermon series entitled Wake Up. And it's a series that is all about grace. So I just want to take just a moment to kind of catch us up on where we've been before we jump into today's conversation. Because for the past few weeks, what we've been talking about is this incredible idea of grace. And what that means for our lives and how that impacts our everyday reality. And this is the way that we are defining grace in this series. It is this. Grace is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. See, the good news is this, is that God offers grace to everyone. I mean, it doesn't matter how bad that you think you've been or how good that you think you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. I mean, it doesn't even matter like what's going on in your life right now. The truth that we've been discovering is this, is that you can experience God's grace. But we've also learned that you have to embrace God's grace on his terms. And his terms are simply this. God says this. That a right standing with him, and don't miss what we're saying when we talk about a right standing with God. A right standing with God is literally the confidence that you can lay your head down on the pillow at night and things between you and God are good. And so what we've learned over the last couple weeks is this. A right standing with God, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ by his grace. So the reality is you don't work for grace, you don't perform for grace, or live up to certain standards or terms for grace. It is freely given to you by God if you choose to believe that Jesus Christ on the cross did for you what you could not do for yourself. In fact, last week we saw that in the face of sin, that when Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, that in the face of sin and rebellion, that God's grace did not disappear. The reality is God's grace, it shone brighter. It showed up in a more powerful way. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he said, where sin did abound, grace abounds even more. So because of God's grace, what God does is when we mess up, God chooses to step in our mess and clean up what we've messed up. In fact, we learned last week that he doesn't reject us and he doesn't turn his back on us. Instead, what he does is he walks right into our mess, right into our guilt, right into our shame. And instead of giving us like more rules, what God does is he extends to us a relationship that's built on grace. Now, while that's true, For many of us, that's not how Christianity seems. That's not what a relationship with God seems like to many of us. Because especially if like if you grew up in church and and you read the Old Testament, like you know there's just like a lot of rules in the Old Testament. And if you grew up in church, you probably felt like there were even more rules. I mean, some of the rules like weren't even in the Bible, right? It's like don't run in the sanctuary. And then you grew up and realized that's not a sanctuary, that's a building. I am a sanctuary of God. 
And then you're like mad at your mom or your dad because they told you not to run in the sanctuary. Or this one, don't take anything in to drink in the sanctuary. Then you show up at RCC and you drink all you want. Not, not just anything, but you know, you can <laughs> in the or here's the other one. It's like, don't wear jeans to church. You know, like, man, you know, it just messes us up, doesn't it? You know, like you went to church and like one week, it's like, if you want God to be happy with you, then you need to do this and this and this and this and this and keep these rules and these rules and these rules. And then the next week you go back to the church and, and you hear this, like, if you want to make God happy, then don't do this and don't do this and don't do that. Now, here's the question. Whenever you hear that kind of message, Whenever you hear a, you better do this, or you better not do that kind of message, like you feel like you're being forced to follow a rule that you don't agree with, or you don't even understand, or you especially don't like, or maybe you don't even believe is good for you. Here's the big question. How do you react to that? Like, how do you react? Like, do you rebel? Do you push back? I mean, if you're like me, like for most of us, if someone comes along and goes, here's the line, don't cross this line. All of a sudden, guess what you want to do? You want to cross that line, right? It's like, I'll show you, I can cross that line. See, it's like, if you're like me, it's like you're not going to be forced to follow anybody's rules. So like yesterday, I'll give you an example. Like yesterday, my children decided they were going to do something special for their mom, and so they invited me to go along, and I did because I knew that would get me brownie points with their mom, and I like having brownie points with their mom. And so we are going to do this dinner thing for her, lunch thing, and then she had this movie she wanted to watch. And so I'm driving one of the vehicles, and I get behind my son-in-law, and he's doing 70 miles an hour. I'm like, what kind of loser did my daughter marry, you know? My wife's like, the speed limit's 55. I said, no, this road is an 80 miles an hour road. <laughs> She's like, you just make up your own rules, don't you? And then we get on another road, and I said, okay, this is a 75 mile an hour road. And I just tell her, I said, these are all the speeds that I have for this road. I know what's safe for me. <laughs> and she just passed me on the leg. She passed me on the leg. Anyhow, but I, we're not going there, but anyhow. Um, she says, will you just relax and enjoy this journey? See, are you like me? You just make up your own rules for certain things, you know? It's like, this is an 80-mile-an-hour road, 75-mile-an-hour road. That 55, and if you're a teenager, don't listen to anything I'm saying right now. <laughs> listen to your mom and dad. But isn't that how it is? It's like, we just make up our own rules, and nobody's going to tell us to cross that line. You know, it's like, you don't want to feel like somebody is controlling you. You don't want to feel like anybody is restricting you. And for some of you, this is like why you left the church and it's why you just come back like a Mother's Day or Easter or Christmas. It's like, oh, I'm just tired of all the rules and people trying to control me. For others of you, it's, it's why you keep checking out this Christianity thing. But it's like, I don't know if I want to embrace Christianity because like, I hear about this grace thing and then I hear about all these rule things. And because you perceive all these rules to be part of Christianity, you're like, I don't know if I want anything to do with Christianity because it's got all these rules and I don't understand the difference between grace and rules. So today what we're going to do is we want to talk about the relationship between grace and rules. Or the way that it's referred to in the Old Testament is the law of God. Now here's what I know. 
None of you got up this morning thinking, oh, this is Mother's Day. I sure hope they talk about God's rules today. It's like, I just hope they just slam us with the law of God. And, and we get that. I get that because it seems like that God's law and God's grace are like opposite ends of the spectrum. And the truth is, here's the thing, we all want God's grace, don't we? We want to experience God's grace, we want to live in God's grace, but we want to avoid the rules. We want to avoid the laws. But today what we're going to do is kind of give you like a different perspective and, and hopefully clear up for you maybe some of the confusion that you have carried with you because how you have perceived like saying God has all these laws and how all these laws have been presented to you in the past and how that just totally destroys any idea of you experiencing God's grace. So to do that, let me ask you a question. If you're God... Just pretend for a moment like you're God, pure, holy, right, just. And the people that you created and the people that you love so dearly because you created them and you want to have a special relationship with them, if those people were making decisions that put them in harm's way or put them in danger, if you're God, what would you do? Well, the truth is, I think you would do the same thing your mother did when you were a kid. I think you'd do the same thing that you do as a mother with your kids today. Well, what does, what does a good mom, or, or for that matter, what does a good parent do when they see their kids doing things that are going to put them in danger or put them in harm's way? See, whenever you see a good mom or a good parent watching their kids do something that could be dangerous or painful, what do they do? They create some rules, don't they? They create some boundaries. They create some guidelines. And the reality is, it doesn't matter if the kid sees the benefit or understands the point of the rules or the boundaries or the guidelines, but as a parent, you hope they understand why you put these rules and these boundaries and these guidelines in place, but that's not the primary objective of the rules, boundaries, and the guidelines for them to understand, is it? The primary objective of rules, boundaries, and guidelines that you put in place for your children is what? Protection to keep them safe, to help them have a better experience in life. Well, you know what? That's exactly what God did. When the dangers of sin and the fallout of sin became a very real part of mankind's existence, God didn't just walk away and say, oh, well, they'll figure it out. They'll hit enough walls. They'll figure it out. They just need their freedom. Let them live and learn. I mean, they, they'll bump into enough stuff. They'll figure this out eventually. No, 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 no. God created a list of rules. God created a list of guidelines, of, of guardrails or boundaries. And they weren't there to restrict us. They were put in place, just like a good mom or a good parent would do, to protect us. So today, what we want to do is, is we want to make the case and hopefully help you begin to think of God's law from a completely different perspective. In fact, you might want to write this down, and that is this. God's law is an expression of protection, and protection is an expression of of grace. Now let me say that again, because this is so foreign to our thinking when we think about God. 
but it's not real foreign to our thinking when we think about parenting. So like, think about it this way. Your laws, your rules, your guidelines, your guardrails you put in place for your children, it's an expression of protection. Well, the same thing is true for God. So God's law is an expression of protection, and protection is an expression of grace. Because the truth is, whenever you follow God's law, whenever you stay within the guardrails, whenever you stay within the boundaries... It's like you're staying under the protection of the umbrella of his grace. And you say, help me understand that a little bit more. Well, to kind of illustrate this better, let's fast forward from where we started the last two weeks with the creation of man and the fall of man and fast forward about 2,500 years to 1,200 B.C., in 1200 BC, the people of Israel, they have been slaves in, Is or in Egypt for 400 years. They have no idea what freedom looks like or how to handle it. They're very much like our children. So for 400 years, they've had other people kind of telling them what to do, how to live, and then suddenly Moses come along, comes along, he leads them out of Egypt, they now have this freedom, and they're all on their own. I mean, this generation is experiencing a level of freedom that they've never experienced before, and God begins the process of establishing them as a new nation, as his chosen people. Like, this is the group of people that he is going to share this message of grace with the entire world, and he knows he's got to do something to protect them from themselves, from harming themselves. And so what he does is he creates this list of rules. In fact, he creates a bunch of them, 613 to be exact. So if you'll take your Bibles out and go to the book of Exodus, we're going to read every one of them this morning. No, we're not. It's not going to happen. But here's what we are going to do. What we are going to do is we're going to read you 10 of them, okay, 10 of them. Ten of the most famous, you, you know them most likely as the Ten Commands. I mean, most of you have probably already read, already read them at some point in time. Now, these are found in Exodus chapter 20, so if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your phone, or we'll put them on the screen. But you got to understand something about the Ten Commandments. They are only ten of a collection of about 613. But to help you understand why God gave them so many, to help create some clarity around some confusion, whenever you read books like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which are the, five, the first five books of the Bible, you see all these rules and you see all these laws that God gave the nation of Israel in, in the Old Testament. And what you have to understand about all 613 of these laws and these rules, don't miss this, is they were nation-specific. God specifically gave them to the nation of Israel for them to live by. They were guidelines, they were guardrails, they were boundaries. And in these rules, these 613 rules or laws, they included what is known as the moral law. They also included what is known as the civil, civil law and, they was, and also the ceremonial law. The moral law was how to treat each other. The civil law was how to govern themselves, and the ceremonial law was all about how to deal with their sin issues with God. But here's the reality. When it comes to morality, the moral law, things like the Ten Commandments, that is true for all people, for all times, and all places. 
Because really what the moral law is, it's just how to act morally as a human being toward all people. So while they were specific to the nation of Israel, they also are specific to us in some ways because it's just God saying, here's how you can show love to me and here's how you can show love to those that are around you. So as we, want you, as you, as we read through these 10 commands, we want you to think of them today not as rules, but we want you to ask yourself a question and say this, is it possible that God said these things as an expression of protection? And God's protection is an expression of grace, not just to the nation of Israel, but also to you. So let's read Genesis chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Here's what God says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord. If you're taking notes, make sure you underline this word, your. I am the Lord, your God. And I don't want you to miss this phrase, I am the Lord, your God. Because when he says, I am the Lord, your God, he's saying, I'm not some distant God out there. I'm, I'm not some God that's removed from you like all the gods of the nation of Israel or, or the, of the nation of Egypt that you experienced over the last 400 years or your, your people did. He says, I want you to understand, I am the Lord, your God. I care about you. I am all about a relationship with you. I want to be in a very personal relationship with you because I care deeply about you. So I am the Lord, your God. You got to picture this differently than when you read it most of the time. It's like when you see a mom whose baby is in distress and the mom kind of bends down and goes, it's okay, babe, mom is here. And she kind of reaches out and pulls this child in. And that's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. He's saying, it's okay, I'm here. I want to help you. I am the Lord, your God. And he continues to help them understand that. He says, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's going, this is how much I care about you. I care about you so much that I'm going to be, I'm involved in the process of your life. I am bringing you through the difficult things. I'm helping you find new levels of freedom. But don't miss this. There is a relationship with the nation of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, before he gives them any rules. Just like as a parent, there's a relationship with your child before you give them rules, before you give them guardrails, before you give them guidelines. Don't miss that. Before there were any rules, there was a relationship. God freed them. God brought them out of Egypt. And he goes, listen, I'm the Lord your God. So now that this level of relationship is established, God says this. He says, so because I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, why would God say that? You shall have no other gods before me. Because here's the reality. They just came out of a out of a country, out of bondage to a country that had hundreds of gods. He's like, I'm your one true God. And he, he understood something that most of us don't understand, and that is this. Every one of us, we are tempted to choose some kind of functional God that's going to end up just like wrecking our life. Now, what we mean by a functional God is anything that you put your trust, anything that you pursue, 
And in most cases, it's something that you trust and pursue because it's going to create your identity. It's going to give you value. It's going to give you a sense of meaning. It's going to give you a sense of purpose. For, for example, for, for some of you, everything in your life revolves around a relationship with a spouse or a significant other. Like your idea of life is this, when I get married, then I'm going to be happy. Or now that I'm married, my spouse needs to take care of me. Or my life would fall apart if I didn't have this person in my life. See, that is a functional God. Others of you, maybe it's your children. It's like, I don't know what I'd do without my child, you know, or my children. It's like, you get your, your sense of identity and worth and value and meaning all from your children. And that's what's known as a functional God. For some of you, it's not a relationship like with a spouse or a significant other or a child. For some of you, it's your career. For some of it's your health and your fitness. For others of you, it's your money, it's your success. See, a functional God is what you trust in to give your life a sense of meaning and purpose and value and significance. So when God comes along and says, hey, you, you shouldn't have any other gods before me, he's not trying to control us and he's not trying to restrict us. In fact, what he's trying to do is protect us from something that may be good, but isn't worthy to put our trust in. He's ultimately trying to protect us from something that if we put our trust in it, our security in it, our faith in it, it will let us down and it cannot ultimately meet our emotional, spiritual, and physical needs. So this law right here, it's an expression of protection. And remember we said protection is an expression of God's grace. Notice the second command that he gives. You should not make for yourself any idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. In other words, he says, don't make an image like you saw back in Egypt where, you know, you say, hey, this represents our God and like put me up in this little temple or on this hill in your city and then just worship this little image. Why is that important? Because God says, I am the Lord your God. I'm a personal God. I want to be with you everywhere. It's why God didn't want a temple. He only wanted a tabernacle because he wanted to move where the people, he wanted his presence to be known right where the people were. And so God is saying, listen, I don't want you to think like you saw the people in Egypt thinking that I'm just so little and so small that you can just like come to me and worship me whenever you want to and then leave me behind and go about your life and that I'm not interested and I don't want to be involved. He's like, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you all the time. I'm the God that wants to be personally involved in all of your life. And while I'm a God that's so much bigger than you can imagine, I'm a personal God. I'm the Lord, your God. And that's an expression of grace for God to say, I want to be with you all the time to help you through everything you're going through. And then notice what happens in the next verse 7. He says, so you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. Now, most of us read this and we think about profanity or cursing or swearing, but I'm telling you, this is so much more than just that. God is saying, don't attach my name to something that I haven't attached my name to. Like, don't leverage my name to accomplish, like, your agenda. In fact, if you read, like, the New Testament, the Pharisees were pros at this in Jesus' day. And, and we do this all the time, don't we? It's like we use God's name as a stamp for approval for whatever we're doing or whatever we want to do. And, and God says, don't do that. Just don't do that. Like, 
Because here's why, what we'll do is we'll often use God's name so that you can't question what I'm doing right now, whether it's right or not. I mean, he's saying, listen, don't say God said, or don't say that I promised you, or I told you, or I bless you until you're certain that I have done that. In other words, God's saying, listen, I don't want you trying to control me or control other people by twisting scripture to say what you want it to say. I'll never forget the time when my wife and I were in an argument, and she looks at me, and she says, don't you ever use the Bible again in an argument. She said, you know enough scripture that you can make it say anything you want to say, and I'll never win against God. I can win against you, though. And I don't use the Bible in our arguments anymore. In fact, I've learned after 30-some years of marriage not to argue. (laughs) No, we still have our issues we have to deal through. But all of a sudden, I woke up in that moment and realized, oh, that's what God meant. When he says, don't leverage God's name for personal gain. Because the reality is we as Christ followers, we, we do this all the time. See, and here's the thing. Not only are you misusing God's name, but you're misrepresenting, and this is what my wife was saying to me, you're misrepresenting who God is. And if you do that long enough, then eventually you, you lose sight of the true nature of God and, and you fashion this God of your own design. And God said, that's a very dangerous road because that will take you down a path that's always gonna lead to pain and it's not a wise path to take. So God says, listen, I wanna protect you And God's protection is always an expression of his grace. Well, here's the fourth command. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Literally what he's saying there is, you need to take some time every week to stop your work and remember God provides for all of our needs. And literally what he's saying, this is a protection or a statement of protection and it's expression of my grace. And you go, how was that? an expression of God's grace. Because what happens is when you pause, like you're doing right now, and just focusing on God, it reminds you that the world is not on your shoulders, it's on God's shoulders. It protects you from thinking that you're somebody that you're not and you're responsible for the things that you're not. God says, listen, you're not made to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, so you, need to re- you just need to pause every week at some point in time to relax and reflect on the fact that God's got everything under control. You can trust God in that and that's a statement of grace where God says hey I got it under control you can just pause and you can let me be in control that's a statement of protection now all four of those are statements about our relationship with God and and how we interact with God how we can work on developing our trust in God as his as our protector now there's six more of these commands And these next six, they are all about how we relate to each other. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through them rather quickly. And then we're going to give you some real practical ways um, to live this out in your life. But really, these next six commands, they are just practical ways to love and be wise in our relationship with each other. It's about guardrails and boundaries for our relationship with each other. So when we read these, what's going to happen, many of you are going to think, oh, that's obvious. I already knew that. You didn't have to read those. But here's the thing you got to understand as we're reading through this. They're obvious to you because we live in a culture that is founded on them. Now, we didn't say we follow them well, but they're part of our conscience. It's, it's part of how we think about right and wrong. 
But you gotta understand, when God gives these commands to the nation of Israel, I mean, this was like the first country that ever, or nation that ever championed these values. Like the Israelites were gonna be the first group of people to kind of live this way. In fact, look at what he says, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And why did God tell him that? Because God knew that the key to a strong nation is a strong family. Literally, the way that you treat your parents is how you're going to end up treating the people around you. Like, if you don't give honor to your parents, you're not going to give honor to other people. And all the teenagers start rolling their eyes at this point in time. But here's the thing you need to understand. Honor is something that we give to a person based on their position. Respect is something we give to people based on their disposition. So he's saying, I I want you to honor every person because if you do that, relationships will go so much better. There'll be so much less drama and pain and regret relationally. So give honor where honor is due. And then he goes on. He says, you shall not murder. Literally, he's saying, listen, every person that your eyes lock eyes with, that's a person that I made, and you need to treat them as somebody that I made. And if you treat every person as somebody I made and you give them value, it'll make your relationship so much better. Then he goes on. He says, you shall not commit adultery. And, And we don't even have to really talk about that one a whole lot. But he's like, not only is God saying that, hey, you need to honor the marriage relationship because this honors my, or is a symbol of my relationship with you, but it's like life is just gonna work so much better if you give honor to your spouse or you give honor to somebody else's spouse and you honor the marriage relationship. And then he says, you shall not steal, which is saying, listen, you just need to stay away from greed because greed is so dangerous and you need to honor. Do you see how many times we're using the word honor here? You need to honor your neighbor's possessions. And, and that develops trust between you and your neighbor and a life will go so much better when, when you honor that person and their possessions. And he goes on. He says, you should not give false testimony against your neighbor. Again, he's saying, listen, you need to honor integrity between you and your neighbor because trust is like the foundation of all healthy relationships. See, all of these are just like guidelines and guardrails and boundaries that God is saying, your relationships will go so much better if you live this way. And then he comes along and he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Lord, he's like, Don't long for, don't be preoccupied with having what God hasn't given you. Like, don't have a passion to possess what is not yours. God says, no, don't do that, because that's not healthy. Because ultimately, when you get into this whole coveting thing, it just leads to misery, and he's trying to protect you from that kind of misery. See, you gotta understand something. From God's perspective, and you understand this as a parent, from even a parenting perspective, laws and rules and boundaries are an expression of protection and protection is a statement or an expression of grace now if some of you are on some of our campus this morning and and you're kind of pushing back on that because you feel guilty because like you've broken like 80 percent of those commands and 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 you're really not sure if like god's ultimate goal was your protection then i just want you to imagine this with me just imagine this What if everyone in our country just followed God's law that says don't lie? Most politicians wouldn't have a word to say. Um, Now, listen, wouldn't our country be so much better off? 
Like, wouldn't we all be better off if we just did the one that says don't lie? I mean, imagine if every husband and wife did not lie to each other. Imagine if there was like no dishonesty in family. Like there's no dishonesty with friends. Like there's no dishonesty in the workplace. Imagine how different our country would be. I mean, think about all the relationships that would have never been broken but instead, they would be like these healthy and strong, vibrant family relationships and workplace relationships because there was unquestionable trust between people because nobody lied. Think about it. None of us would deny. We would all rather live in a world where we followed this one command, where we lived inside this one boundary, where we lived inside this guardrail. Wouldn't we? But just don't think about that one. Think about this one. Imagine if everybody in our country Follow the command not to covet. I mean, wouldn't our country be so much better off if we stopped coveting? Of course, I mean, we would. I mean, imagine the loans that would have never been made. Imagine the debt that people would have never taken on that got them over their head financially and all the unethical things that have happened with banking. Think about it, it would have never happened if no one had coveted money or success. I mean, you think about this. He says, y'all should not cover your neighbor's house. And he's like, imagine all the relationships that would have never been broken if another person had not coveted something someone else had had, maybe their spouse or their possessions. But imagine how much more freedom that we could have lived in and how much more happiness and how much more contentment that we could have had as a nation if we just lived in the side of this guardrail right here. See, too many times we look at God's law as, as, as restrictive to our lives. And you think, I'm just not going to live by that because that's just way too restrictive. But, but you know what the irony is this? You want everybody else to live by them. You, you don't want other people like coveting your things or lying to you or sleeping with your wife or stealing your stuff, right? And God says, you don't. Why don't you? Because it hurts you and it hurts the other people and sin has consequences. And God says, I'm just trying to protect you from all those consequences to begin with. Which is why God says, listen, I don't want your life revolving around this whole functional God. Like, I, I want you loving me because I love you and I have your best interests at heart. And so God is just saying through these commands, listen, I'm not trying to restrict you. I'm just putting some boundaries and some guardrails in place to protect you. And protection is an expression of the unexpected, undeserved, unearned favor of God. So here's our challenge to you. If you have placed yourself outside the boundaries, outside the guardrails and the protections of God's law, would you embrace his grace today? Would you change your mind about what you're doing and how you're living and acknowledge that living outside those guardrails, outside those boundaries are not the best path? And they cause you a lot of pain and they cause a lot of other people pain. And would you admit that living inside God's boundaries and in God's side, inside of God's guardrails are the best path to take? And then would you like change your behavior and put yourself back under the umbrella of the protection of God's grace? 
And then like from here on out, every time you're tempted to sin and you're tempted to jump that guardrail or jump that boundary and you want to rebel, would you pause to remember, hey, this isn't God withholding something good from me. This is about him giving me his grace. It's not about restricting me. It's about protecting me. And you go, protecting me from what? I I get it, but what is it really protecting me from? Really, it's, you know, what are guardrails there? They're to protect you from wrecking. And God wants to protect you from wrecking your family and your future and your faith. And and if you look back on the story of Adam and Eve where we started out two years ago, because they decided they were going to get outside of God's boundaries, his guardrail, that one rule that he gave them. I mean, it happened to them. They wrecked havoc on their family and their future. And it's happened to people all throughout history. And I'm telling you, it'll happen to you too if you choose to live outside the guardrails and the boundaries that God puts in place. So every time you're tempted to say, I'm just not living by a bunch of rules. That's too restrictive. I'm not going to have somebody else telling me how to live. Remember this. God's law is an expression of protection, and protection is an expression of grace. Listen. Nobody gets into their life in which they lied more, coveted more, committed adultery more, stolen more, chased after other things and God more that never ever happens people get to the inner life and they wish they had taken a completely different path so will you choose today to say God I'm going to live inside of your boundaries inside of your guardrails so that I experience a life of few regrets and the great reward of grace listen living life under God's umbrella protection it's the best way to live Because when you're living inside of his guardrails and his boundaries, you realize every day I'm experiencing his protection and his protection is an expression of grace. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us enough. You love every one of us enough. Not only to say, I am the Lord your God, and you said it by coming to this earth and taking on human flesh and being our Lord and our Savior by dying on the cross to pay the price for every sin, for every time that we jumped outside of your boundaries, every time we jumped outside of your guardrails. God, thank you for loving us enough to come to this earth and say, I'm your God, I'm your Savior. I want to be your friend. I want you to be part of my family. I pray that today we will embrace your grace by choosing to say, God, forgive us for doing our own thing, going our own way, trying to live outside of what you established for us. God, may we live under your protection and may we see your protection as an expression of your grace. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.